Well, I believe my friend's exact words were drama, drama, drama. And somebody else in the conversation just kind of threw up his hands and said, man, it feels like there is always something around here. And I wonder if you've ever been in a kind of environment like that as well, where somebody is always fighting with somebody. There's some kind of faction always developing. Someone's always gossiping about someone. It can make you hang your head in frustration or even pull out your hair in frustration. And it's so common nowadays that they have made a word for it. The word is toxic, a toxic environment. And business publications will talk about toxic workplaces. Uh, we'll talk about toxic family life. But the phenomenon, though the word is new, the phenomenon is not new. Uh, did you know that there's actually a lot of words in the Bible dedicated to the very fact that we tend to do this stuff? Dude? There tend to be communities that develop where people are just nasty to each other, where there is a lot of infighting. The word may be new, but the phenomenon is not. And this morning, we are going to look at what's going on in that kind of scenario. On the other hand, there are some places where civility reigns, right? Where people who have wisdom get together and they listen to each other, they can speak respectfully to each other, and a very pleasant, harmonious community begins to develop. Well, there's a difference between the two, and I think what the Lord is going to show us this morning in the book of James is what that difference is and how we can grow into the kind of peacemakers who can help to influence one community into the other. So let's grab our Bibles and look to the book of James. If you don't have a Bible, grab the Dark Pew Bible in front of you. Start in the back and flip to page 178. If you're just joining us, we are about two-thirds of the way through a sermon series on the book of James, which we're calling Complete. And we are calling it that because we believe the book of James was written to help Jesus' followers sand off their rough edges and grow to complete and mature faith in Jesus. See, we believe that Jesus was God, made man, walked on earth with us. We believe that we were in great need of forgiveness because of the terrible things that we have done, but that Jesus died and rose to secure forgiveness for us and calls everyone to come and follow him. So we follow Jesus here and we call you to come and follow him too. And as you follow him, you grow into maturity as a Christian. And part of that maturity is being the kind of person who can sow peace into a community that is full of conflict. We're going to pray that the Lord will grow us into that sort of Christian this morning. We're going to look at James chapter 3, verses 12 through 18. Let's read it together. He says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every vile thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure. And then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. And the seed, whose fruit is righteousness, is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. 
So the difference between those two types of environments, between that toxic environment and that harmonious environment, is that they run on two different kinds of wisdom. And James spills much of his ink here, separating in our minds one from the other so that we can tell the difference from the other. And as I have poured over this text this week, I want you to know I've been praying three things for you, and we're gonna walk through all three of those things together. First, I've been praying that God would give every single one of us the discernment to see what is going on in the communities that we live and breathe and work in. If you're in a toxic community or in a very harmonious community, I'm praying that God will give you discernment today to see what's happening underneath that community and what is fueling that community to be that way. Secondly, I'm praying the Lord will help us to see our part in it. Are we contributing to the drama or are we helping to make it more peaceful? I pray the Lord reveals that to us and grows us into peacemaking Christians. And thirdly, there are many of you who are probably in some terrible communities, a really hard workplace, really hard family life, and you hear the word toxic and you're like, yep, that describes just what I'm walking through. And I'm praying that the Lord will give you wisdom to know just how to deal with those difficult and sticky situations. We'll walk through all three of those this morning. Let's look first at the difference between those two kinds of community. Like I said, James spends most of his time here talking about the difference between the two and a little bit of his time giving a command as a result. So we're going to spend a lot of our time there as well. And I know we don't usually do slides with graphics and stuff, but we've got some today just to help us really separate these two concepts in our mind. We're going to walk through the difference between a wisdom that has two different hearts, two different sources, and then two different fruits. So let's walk first through the different hearts in these two wisdoms. You see we got two wisdoms up there, different sources, different hearts, different fruits. Uh, the first one has what you might call a selfish ambition at the core. James says uh, selfish ambition and bitter envy are at the heart of this wisdom. Selfish ambition and bitter envy. So. You may know someone, when you hear the word selfish ambition, you may know somebody whose motives you can't really trust, right? Like, they're coming to you and they're saying things, but you're thinking to yourself, everything that they're telling me is just part of their agenda to get me to do what they want me to do, right? Every, every little wisdom that they've got, every persuasive technique they can use, everything they've got, all their planning, all their plotting, a lot of times we're doing all this out of our own advancement of our agenda, right? You're trying to get ahead, you're trying to prevail over other people. And James says a lot of wisdom can have that heart at it. You can be trying to grow in knowledge, you can be trying to grow in wisdom, all for the advancement of yourself over others so that you can prevail over others so that your agenda can win the day so that you can get the job and the other guy doesn't get the job and whatever plotting you've got to do to make him look bad and you look good you're going to do that James refers to that as selfish ambition and he uses another word that may be a little tougher to interpret he uses the term bitter jealousy as well bitter jealousy and selfish ambition at the heart of worldly wisdom now when he says bitter jealousy it's easy to get kind of thrown off by that terminology because you hear the word jealousy and you might think like green with envy kind of jealousy, right? Uh, the word that's being used in the Bible here can be used to mean a few different things and the word jealousy can mean a few different things as well. Uh, so I'm gonna give you some examples of times when that word is used. It's used positively of Jesus 
when he says, it's said of him, zeal for your house will consume me, right? Jesus walks into the temple, he flips over those tables, he throws out the money changers, and it says, this happened to fulfill what was written, zeal for your house will consume you. You can almost see the fire in his eyes. He knows he is righteous, he knows he is right. It is a positive and good zeal. But then Paul uses the word negatively to talk about opponents of the gospel later on. And he says, they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Right? So there are these false teachers who are teaching with all they have got. They have got zeal. They're walking into the pulpit. They're walking into whatever home group meeting. And they know that they are right, but their zeal isn't according to knowledge. They're, they're not right about what they're saying. So it refers to this kind of sensibility where you walk into a situation and you know you are right and this person is wrong, right? You ever walked into a conversation and you feel like the other person in the conversation already knows that they're right and you're wrong and the whole point of the conversation is for them to convince you of how right they are and how wrong you are. They're not willing to listen to you. They're not willing to be persuaded by new information. There is in there a bitter zeal that says, I am right and the whole point of this conversation is to prevail over you and make sure that my opinion prevails over you. That's what James is getting at when he says bitter jealousy. So at the heart of this worldly wisdom, then is the desire to advance yourself over other people or advance your opinion over other people's opinion. To put it shortly, basically you're just trying to win every conversation you have, right? You're looking at every conversation like a battle and you have got to win it. That's the heart of worldly wisdom. But on the other side, there's a better kind of wisdom. There's a heart of godly wisdom. The heart of godly wisdom has this certain meekness and humility about it. Uh, James refers to it as the gentleness of wisdom in our translation here. And many translations say the meekness of wisdom or the humility of wisdom. It's a, a tenderness that doesn't have to believe itself to be better than everybody else in order to be happy, right? It's a humility that, that can put others first, that sees rightly how small and how big a person is and knows that God is much greater. And I'll give you a picture of this kind of heart from Psalm 86. Psalm 86 says, For you are great and do wondrous deeds. It's talking of God. You alone are God. And then it says, Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth, unite my heart to fear your name. So the proud heart is saying, I do great things, listen to me, everyone listen to what I have to say. And the humble meek heart, on the other hand, is saying, God, you are great, you do great things, how about you teach me what you know so that I can learn from you? Can you see the difference there? Can you see the opposite there? It says, God, teach me your ways so that I can walk in them. And the Bible has a phrase for that kind of attitude, the kind of attitude that sees how great God is, uh, the kind of attitude that looks to God with reverence and awe and says, you're awesome and I want you to teach me your ways so that I can walk in them. That attitude, the phrase is the fear of the Lord. That's what the Bible calls that. It's an attitude that trembles with reverence before God, longs to walk in God's ways, and so learns them and walks in his ways. Now, one thing you need to know about what James is doing here is he tends to try to build on 
teachings that first century Jewish Christians would already know really well. Like remember last week, we talked a lot about Jesus' words that you'll know a tree by its fruit, because what James was saying was built on that teaching of Jesus. Well, the sayings of Jesus, the Old Testament law, the Old Testament wisdom, things that first century Jewish Christians would just have already, he builds on those very often. And this time, he's building on one too. He's building on the teaching in the wisdom literature that says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you've spent much time in the wisdom literature, you've heard that phrase before. You know that the foundation of godly wisdom is that attitude of the fear of the Lord, that humility that comes before God and has reverence for him and then wants to learn his ways. Uh, it's written several times in four different wisdom books. I'll few, put a few of them on the screen for you. Uh, Job 28, 28 says, and to man he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Psalm 111 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. And Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You can see the theme here, right? One of the big foundations of the Proverbs, of the Psalms, of Ecclesiastes, uh, is that the fear of the Lord is where you start with wisdom. James is building on that here to say, in that meekness of humility, you can build all sorts of good and godly wisdom. So the heart then of good and godly wisdom is not self-advancement, it's not advancing your opinion over other people, it's a meekness that is filled with the fear of the Lord instead. So those are the two different hearts of earthly and godly wisdom. But they don't just have different hearts, they have a different source as well. They come from different places. And James uses well, I'll get there in a minute. First, actually, we'll talk about the wisdom from above. James calls one of them the wisdom from above in verse 17 and that which comes down from above in verse 15. So godly wisdom, as you might imagine, comes right from God, right? If you fear the Lord God, you want to walk in his ways, you're asking him for wisdom, he's going to give it to you, and so your wisdom is going to come from God. That's where good wisdom comes from. On the other hand, that self-advancing wisdom, if it's coming from a desire to just advance yourself, James uses three prog progressively severe words to describe them. He says it is earthly, he says it's natural, and then he says it's demonic. So he says that self-advancing wisdom, that shrewdness that you are building up to make sure that you're better than everyone else and everyone knows it, that's not heavenly, it's not coming from above, it's, it's coming from earth. And you may think it's spiritual, you may think it comes from the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God has given you such great wisdom to advance yourself over, no, actually, the Spirit of God isn't interested in you learning how to advance yourself and play really good political chess and win over everybody else. The Spirit of God's interested in making you new. And so that wisdom you're building up is not from the Spirit of God. But then it gets really difficult because the next word is demonic, right? So if you are putting all of your energy into advancing yourself over other people, there are spiritual forces that would be happy to at least pretend to help you do that. 
That wisdom that you think you're building up by following all of your own natural desires to win and to get ahead, you think that you're thinking all this stuff together and you probably are calculating a lot of it together, but there is a fuel for that wisdom. And that fuel comes from below. And that is why James calls it earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And so if that wisdom is fueled from below and it's got a heart of self-advancement, it would make sense why the fruit of it in a person's life and in a community are so bad, wouldn't it? And so James speaks of the fruit. He says in verse 16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every vile thing. Right, if it comes from below, if it's out of a heart of self-interest, What's going to happen in those communities? What's going to happen in those people's lives? He says, disorder and every vile thing. Now, I know those words are a little archaic today. We would probably just say toxic, just a toxic community. Uh, but again, the phenomenon is nothing new. That kind of community, that kind of family, that kind of place is as old as Cain and Abel in Genesis 4. And here is James speaking to it to a T right here 2,000 years ago. It's not a new phenomenon. But the words are a little archaic, and so I'll take a little time to unpack what they mean. The first fruit he says is disorder. Right? Disorder, by that he means, uh, that word's used a lot of times to talk about the chaos of war. Like you, can, you can hear swords clashing and see fire burning through the battlefield and see the destruction that happens in war. That, that word for disorder is often used to describe that. And that sometimes happens in communities, right? So much fighting, so much backbiting that there's just destruction and chaos everywhere. Right? Two of your children start fighting, start arguing, and there are only three people in the room, but all of a sudden, somehow, eight people are talking at the same time, right? Like, it just gets out of hand so quickly, it erupts into disorder, right? That would, that would fit the description of what he's talking about here. You see this on the news as well. On cable news, they'll set it up like this. They'll bring one commentator in with a really strong opinion, and that person is there to advance their opinion, right? That, that self-advancing zeal, they've got it. And they'll bring another commentator with the very opposite opinion and an equal amount of zeal, and soon enough, they're just unleashing on each other right on cable news in front of everybody. What's going on there? Well, that's the, the chaos that James is talking about when it erupts like that. In your work environment, one person gossips about another person, and then that person retaliates and gets a couple people together, and next thing you know, there's this whole factioning and war that has developed. That's the chaos that James is talking about here. If you're trying to win every conversation you have, don't be surprised when your conversations turn into fights, right? You're the one that made them a fight when you tried to win them in the first place. That can happen to a community when we enter our conversations with a heart of self-advancement. The other thing he says is every vile thing, which just means bad things, like bad stuff. Uh, and it would make sense that if people in an office or in a family or in any kind of environment are willing to step all over each other and fight against each other to advance themselves, well then it would make sense that those same people would be willing to cross ethical lines to advance themselves, wouldn't it? 
And so in those kind of workplaces and in those kind of families and even in those kind of churches, you often hear reports of sexual misconduct and bullying and cheating and things like that that are going on. That would fit James's description here of every vile thing. And so he says, where that selfish ambition is at the heart in those kind of communities, you get the chaos of infighting, you get drama, 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 and you get every bad thing, you get terrible ethics and people doing terrible things. That happens not just in workplaces, but families, political parties, and even in churches. Where selfish agendas reign, the result is a toxic environment. And sadly, communities like that are common enough that most of you have probably been in one of them before. May even be in one of them now somewhere. But, thank God, they aren't all like that, are they? Sometimes you get a couple of godly people together with godly wisdom, and sometimes even their influence can change the norms and the culture of the whole group that they are in, and all of a sudden the good virtues just start compounding in a community, and a sweet thing happens. James says in the first verse here in chapter 12 that the one who is wise and understanding will have good fruit in their deeds born. That person's actions will show that their wisdom comes from God. But then later on, he starts talking about what that looks like in a community. You get a lot of people like that together, and the list of what that looks like is so wonderful. It is so beautiful. He says, the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, and then peaceable, and gentle, and reasonable, and full of mercy, and good fruits, and unwavering, and without hypocrisy. And I love how the ESV says the next verse, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make what is that? What is that? Have you ever seen that in a community? Have you ever seen a boardroom where people are more interested in listening to each other and learning from each other so they can get a good solution together and work together as a team than they are in fighting against each other and figuring out who can win the meeting? Have you ever seen that? James says it looks like purity. That means that someone's speech is pure in motive, right? They come to you and they say, they're telling you something and they're telling you why they're telling you that and you can trust that they really don't have any hidden agendas or hidden motives in their purely motivated speech. He says it is peaceable. One of the fruits of the Spirit is peace and in communities like that there is peace and people are getting along. Why? Because they love each other and they love the Lord together. A community like that is reasonable. That means that you're willing to be convinced and talked out of your position. Someone could reason you out of your position if they gave you facts. This is someone or a group of people that when presented with new information are willing to change their mind because they're not stubbornly holding to their position. They didn't come to that meeting or to that whatever it is intent on convincing everyone they were right. They came to contribute and be part of a team. And so they're open to reason. They're willing to even be talked out of their position if it's the best for everybody. Folks like that are full of mercy and good fruit. When you're around them, you don't have to be afraid of people figuring out your flaws and biting at you. You can just be open and honest about your flaws because people are going to be kind about them. People are going to be merciful about them, and you can trust them. They're unwavering. They don't flip back and forth. You don't know when you're going to get the good version of the person and the bad version of the person that day. And finally, they're without hypocrisy, which means that what you see is what you get. They are not fake, but they are true, and they are genuine. When you sow peace like that into a community, what you get is righteous and beautiful. 
I've been in places like that before, and I hope that you have too. Godly wisdom that loves God and loves others more than itself. And some of those people are really shrewd and really wise, and they have built a whole system of godly wisdom on that foundation of godliness. Why? Because God gave it to them. God gave them that wisdom. So there are two kinds of wisdom out there. One is a proud wisdom that seeks to advance itself over others. Its source comes from below, and the fruit of it is misconduct and drama. And the other wisdom, the true wisdom, comes into a heart that fears the Lord with humility and worship. It comes down from God above, and it results in both a person and in a community in good works and harmony. And so I think the main insight the Lord wants us to gain from this passage is the ability to distinguish between those two communities and to see the wisdom that is underneath them. Are you in any kind of family or group or community that fits either one of these descriptions? I think the Lord wants you to have eyes to see that it's not just the deeds that are there, but there is a logic and a wisdom that is under them. Because if we're going to be the kind of people who sow peace into a community, first of all, we have got to see that. But he doesn't just want you to see it. He doesn't just want you to see and sit back and say, okay, I understand what's going on in this boardroom. I understand what's going on in this family or in this church now. He wants you to be able to act on it. He wants you to be able to grow into maturity so that you can bring peace to it. And that's why the main command here is in verse 14. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The biggest reason we need to know all this is that no one thinks they're the one causing all the drama, right? Sometimes you're the one that's doing it and you don't realize that it's you. And so James says, check your heart. If there's bitter jealousy, if there's selfish ambition, if in your heart is the desire to prevail over everyone else and show how right you are and just win over everyone, don't boast in your wisdom. Don't be false to the truth. Open your eyes instead to see that you are contributing to the drama in the places where you are. How do you check yourself? I think you check all three. You say, what's, what's the heart of my wisdom? All the, all the planning, all the strategizing I do at work and at home and everywhere else, what's at the heart of it? Is it a desire to advance my opinion and my goals over other people? Or is it a desire to please the Lord out of reverence and awe for Him? Which one's at the heart? And then which one is the source? Are you going to the Lord for your wisdom? Are you going everywhere on earth? And when you go to the other places, are you looking for God's wisdom in other sources and being teachable? Or are you just looking for whatever shrewdness will get you ahead? And then finally, check the fruit. Is the fruit of your actions, when you speak up in a meeting, when you enter a conversation, does it bring peace to it? Or does it rile everyone up and bring more conflict? These things can reveal to you which side you're on. And the main thrust James has got here is don't be on the wrong side and not realize it. So if you're realizing that your desire to prevail over everyone else is causing all sorts of problems, let me walk you through what to do next. I just want to leave you there, but we'll walk you through what to do. The first thing you got to do is turn from that desire. Right. You stare it right in the eyes, say, I've identified it. I know what is at the heart of everything I'm doing. It's my own self, my own desire to advance my agenda and my greatness. You see it, turn from it. Walk away from it. And secondly, the foundation that you need to grow in godly wisdom instead is the foundation we talked about a minute ago, the fear of the Lord, right? 
So you need a picture of God that is so great that you're not gonna be tempted to obsess over your own greatness anymore, right? You're not gonna be worried about prevailing and winning anymore because you see how much bigger God is than you now. So the practical thing you need to do is spend as much time as you can in this word, not just reading aimlessly, not just kinda, I mean, maybe you've been told to read the Bible before and you've looked at it and read it and thought, I just don't know what to do, this isn't working. Not doing it aimlessly, but instead looking for something. Look for the glory of God. It's on every page in this book. If you read it and look for it day after day, you will see how great he is. You'll see in Genesis how he made the world in six days, and then you'll marvel and wonder on the fact that he rested on the seventh and wonder why he did that, but you'll be in awe of God. You'll see how he split the Red Sea in Exodus. The Psalms will tell you how great he is. The last couple of chapters of Job, where Job just, or God just like flexes on Job out of the whirlwind, you'll read that and say, oh, he is great. You'll read the Gospels and you'll see what Jesus did and what he went through for you and you'll have pictures of it in your mind to see how great he is. The book of Romans will tell you how deep and wonderful the gospel is and it will leave you in awe and wonder. So read the book, yes, but don't just read it. Let it show you how big God is so that you can see how small you are and not spend your energy advancing yourself anymore. That will teach you the fear of the Lord and that will be the beginning of godly wisdom. I think James intends this word for communities too, not just for individuals. So companies, families, groups need to think through what this means for them and their group. And that goes for churches too. So since we're a church, I'll apply this to just to churches, but think of how it could apply to the other groups you're part of as well. Uh, imagine this one. Is it easy for you to imagine a church that fights all the time and is doing terrible, unbiblical things? I fear tragically it's probably really easy to imagine a church that does that. Some of us have even been parts of churches like that. In churches like that, do you find that it's common that they feel like they are doing church just right and they are proud of what they do? I don't know about your experience, but that's what I've found. Really toxic churches that are fighting with each other all the time. You walk in and you see terribly unbiblical things going on and you're thinking, what? Do these people even see it? They'll stand up with pride in how they do everything, right? They're so, this is how we do it around here and they're not gonna change a thing about it. Well, that's because I think in toxic churches there is a certain blindness that prevents people to see what's going on and that's what James is hitting at here when he says, if you've got bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and be false to the truth, right? He's trying to lift the blindfold off of some of these churches' eyes because some of them are in some really bad practices and they, don't, they think that they're the wise ones and are doing it right, but that's not what's going on. Well, I've been here for three months. I don't know that I have the best eyes to see it, but as far as I can tell, we're not one of those churches here, right? There is peace, there's harmony here, there's excitement here, good things are going on. But nonetheless, there is the warning in the scriptures, and so we've got to heed it. So here's what we gotta ask ourselves. If we were to turn into that backbiting, gossiping, just not healthy, good church, if we were to turn into that, how would it happen? I think James tells us how it would happen, so we can guard against it. Selfish ambition and selfish envy, right? We would all be trying to advance our opinions in our business meetings and in our back channel conversation. We'd all be trying to make sure that our position wins the day. That would lead to infighting. Or 
selfish agendas. We'd all be trying to advance ourselves over each other, and that would turn into fighting. So if we were to lose this good thing we have here, that's how it would happen. It would be our own selfishness. It would be our desires to advance our opinion and our agendas over each other. So now we know what to guard against. We know what to guard against in our own hearts when some discussion comes up and you've got some zeal and you want to throw down and tell somebody, oh, wait, no, that's what's going to, that's what's going to mess this thing up if we mess this thing up. So now we know what to guard against. Guard against bitter jealousy and selfish ambition because it could hurt us in the long run. Okay, finally, this passage explains what's going on behind the scenes in toxic environments. And some of you I know live or work in toxic environments. And maybe, maybe you heard some of this with rejoicing because now you can see what's going on behind the scenes and maybe that helps you. I hope it does, I'm so happy if it does. But I bet if that's you, you're still wondering, okay, what do I do, right? I, I see now what's going on in my workplace. I see now what's going on on my son's baseball team, but what do I do about it? And the answer for any of you who are in these really sticky situations, the answer is on one hand simple, but on the other hand, not quick and not easy. I can say it in two words, get wisdom. That's the simple answer, but that's not an easy answer, is it? Because wisdom doesn't come in like a one-time booster shot. Like you can't just, whoop, and Solomon got that, nobody else really gets that, boom. You don't get that. Instead, wisdom comes from taking your vitamin every single day, right? Every day coming before God and saying, God, I need you, I can't deal with this workplace. These people are backbiting and fighting and I don't know how to handle myself in a godly way. God, give me wisdom and open up your Bible and read a couple Proverbs and seek wisdom and try to apply it and he'll give you just a little bit to deal with it. And then you do it again the next day and a little more and a little more and it's like exercising. You just get better and better and better at it. So what you've got to do is spend the next years of your life dedicated to growing in wisdom, learning to walk with the wisdom of Joseph in Egypt who somehow survived in Egypt and thrived there despite what was going on. The wisdom of Daniel in Babylon who somehow kept going up in the ranks and thrived there despite what was going on around him, despite the fact that people were trying to bring him down. God can give you wisdom like that too. He's eager to give it. Seek it from him and over the long run, you will find it. Let me give you a couple of Proverbs so you can just kind of taste what wisdom is there in the Bible if you seek it. Let's look first at Proverbs 18, 17. We'll put it on the screen so you don't have to turn there. When I'm in a really toxic environment, I, this one I keep in mind a lot. The first to plead his case seems right until another comes along and examines him, right? One person's got the story and they've turned you against somebody, but oh, but wait a minute, there's two sides to every story, right? If you keep that in mind, it can save you a lot of problems. Proverbs 16, 20, or, uh, sorry, 26, 20 says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there's no whisperer, contention quiets down. What's causing all that fighting? It's that person who's whispering behind the scenes, right? Just a taste of the wisdom that is in the Bible that can unlock some of these threads here. Uh, lastly, we'll do Proverbs 26, 17. Like one who takes the dog by the ears is he who passes by in metals with a strife not belonging to him, right? Don't get into a fight that's not your, it's like grabbing a dog by the ears, bad idea. 
just a little taste of the wisdom that awaits you in the book of Proverbs. If you'll seek it every day, God will grow you in wisdom, and you'll be able to thrive even in difficult taxing environments like that. If you, was, if you realize today that your wisdom has come from yourself, all along, turn from it. Ask Jesus to teach you his ways. Come and sit at Jesus' feet with us. If it's particularly been causing a lot of fighting in your life, we'll look at what turning from fighting looks like next week as we start in James chapter 4. But until then, seek the wisdom of the Lord and you will find it. Search for yourself what is at the heart of your wisdom and hear Jesus saying, come and follow me. Let's pray and prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper.